All right, so today we're going to talk about uh, struggle. And so uh, just uh, real quick, has is, is anybody struggled this week at all? Has anybody had a, had a struggle? Anybody? Thank you for a few honest people. All right, that's good. That's good, right? Well, we all struggle whether we want to admit it or not. And so, uh, so I'm going to speak to those who raised their hands and those who didn't raise their hands. Your struggle might be with, I'm not going to raise my hand just because that guy told me to raise his, my hand. You know, maybe you have an authority figure issue and um, I'm not your authority figure, so that's okay. But um, there's this phrase uh, that, um, that exists in our culture. Uh, it's like hashtag the struggle is real. Have any of you guys seen this out there at all? On Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, people hashtag things. You guys know what a hashtag is? <laughs> Back it up a second, right? Right. But um, it's a way of aggregating posts that have a similar thread. And so the hashtag the struggle is real is one that people use when they're kind of mocking themselves for something that is blowing up their life, like they're really like struggling with this thing, but they recognize at the same time that it's a trivial thing uh, to, be, to be worried about. And so it's kind of a way of, of, of mocking yourself a little bit, I guess. Let, let me show you a couple examples of what this looks like. So um, hashtag the struggles real. I just grabbed these off Twitter. I went to the first page and I just grabbed a couple of the ones that I thought were funny. Um, so, so when cheese and dairy taste so good, but you know better than to wreak havoc on your body and health, hashtag the struggle is real, right? So, so they want that. It's like Oprah, like I love bread, right? But, but you know, it's not good for you, right? Okay, they get better. Don't worry. Um, I really want to go shopping, but I really want to save my money too. Hashtag the struggle is real. Now that one I think is just fascinating because somebody took the time to pull their phone out and type that out and submit it out to the internet. That's the deep thought that's going on in their brain at that moment, right? This one's good. Does anyone else's spouse steal all the marshmallows out of the monster cereal? Hashtag the struggle is real. Okay, there's multiple layers of struggle here, right? This person is old enough to be married. <laughs> they're still eating monster cereal, and they're going eating the monster cereals because they want the marshmallows, and they're married to someone who has that same goal, right? This is scary. There are multiple struggles that I don't even think they've unearthed yet. So the, the struggle is real in that one for sure, right? Uh, this is, I want Starbucks and food so bad right now, but I am unwilling to leave my bed at the moment. <laughs> Hashtag the struggle is real. We've been there, right? We, we, we know that, right? Oh, I love it. I just opened one of those fun size <laughs> packs of Starbursts. Both Starbursts were yellow. Life is hard. Hashtag... The struggle is real, right? This is, this is a real, real struggle. And this last one tugs at your heart a little bit, right? When your little sister gets engaged before you, ugh, the struggle is real. All right, so that may be digging into a little bit of a deeper heart, heart, heart challenge issue there, right? But um, we're, we're going to talk about struggle today. And uh, I categorize struggle into four categories. There may be more, but this is kind of a loose way of thinking about it. And, and feel free to, to email me or whatever if you think of others. But, but, but I, I thought of four at least. Uh, I'm not here to preach my opinion, so it doesn't really matter. This is just kind of intro, right? We're, we're going to dig into the Word. But, uh, so there's the imagined struggle. That's what we just looked at. This is, an, this is something that we imagine to be this difficulty in our life, which is really not that big of a deal. And, and in our heart of hearts, we even kind of know it. Like I had a, the struggle is real moment here. I was going, I was playing guitar, and I was really into it, and I was ready to go over and play something on the iPad, and the iPad timed out. So I had to go and like put my code in so I could play a really cool violin part for you guys on the iPad, right? It's like that was my struggle this morning. And in the grand scheme of things, there are greater struggles in the world, right? It's an imagined struggle. The second kind of struggle is the struggle that we create. And so this is either through our sin 
Uh, it's through a foolish decision, but it's, 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 it's a struggle that we've brought upon ourselves. It's like you're out with your friend, and they're like, man, I really don't know how I'm going to pay rent next month. And you're like, oh, man, what, what, happened to, what happened to your job? Well, I quit. It, I just, I don't know. The boss is always asking me to do stuff, and I couldn't take it. And meanwhile, they're sipping like a $5 latte, and they have their bags from the shopping mall. And, right, like they've created that struggle in their own life, right, through, through unwise stewardship, through, through poor choices. Uh, there's sometimes where it's much more serious. There's a sin issue, and then you've created problems that you're going to have to, to deal with and get through. But sometimes we create the struggle for ourselves. The third type that we would look at is, is the struggle of suffering. This is uh, a struggle that comes about just because we live in a fallen and broken world when Adam and Eve sinned and rebelled against God, that, that sin and pain and sickness and struggle entered in. And so, uh, so maybe it's dealing with, with a health issue with you or with somebody you love. Maybe it's dealing with loss. Maybe it's dealing with betrayal or a broken relationship. And it's not something, uh, you, you know, you can't really have done anything different. It's just come upon you as a result of being in this world. And, uh, and we're going to speak to that this morning. So the struggle of suffering. And the, the, the fourth one that I would point to is what I would call the chosen struggle. It's when you choose to do something really difficult because you believe that the end goal is worth the struggle that it's going to take to get there, right? So, so sometimes we struggle because we choose a struggle. We say, hey, I'm going to enter in because I believe what's on the other side of this struggle is going to be worth entering into it. And so those are at least four. There might be others, but, but this morning we're going to look at what Paul says about his struggle. This is a passage that's just bookended with, with his thoughts on struggling, and, and, and my hope is that we can learn something from a, in this passage Paul shares with his struggle, and it's one that's worth emulating. It's a struggle that we should pursue. It sets a proper tone for our expectations from the Christian life, and it sets a worthy goal out before us as we look at his struggle. And so let's take a look. Uh, Colossians 1, verses 24 to 29. It says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. To make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So hopefully you see in that passage there this, 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 uh, this theme of suffering and struggle and toil, right? He opens up by saying, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And he closes it by saying, for this I toil, struggling with all the energy that he powerfully works within me, right? And so we're going to look at Paul's struggle this morning and see what we can learn about it in our own life and our own struggles. And we're going to look at four things. We're going to look at the cause of his struggle. We're going to look at the purpose of his struggle, we're going to look at the power of his struggle, and we're going to look at the feel of his struggle. Right? So those four things, we'll have them up there ultimately on the screen, but for some of you guys that are like avid note takers, you like to segment your paper out into the four, so there's going to be four, okay? So let's first look at the cause of the struggle. Why is he, why is he struggling? Why is he suffering in the first place? Well, he tells us a ton about this. He, that, that he basically explains it for us. The first thing that we see is he says that I'm suffering for your sake. And later he says he's suffering for the sake of the body, that is 
the church. And so the first thing that we uh, recognize and that we understand is that he is suffering not for himself. He's not suffering selfishly. He's not struggling selfishly, but he's rather he's struggling for the benefit of another. And, and so whether you're here today and you're, whether you have a Christian worldview, whether you believe in, in Jesus or whether you have some other uh, uh, faith that guides your life, most people would morally agree that to suffer for the benefit of another person is a moral good. That's a, that's a good thing to do. But Paul takes it a level further. He's not just suffering for anyone else. He's suffering for the bride of Jesus Christ, the church, the ones that Jesus gave his very life for. And now Paul says, just as Jesus gave his life for the church, I am suffering and struggling and I am pouring my life out for the church. And so the first thing that we see in his struggle is that it's, it's other-centered and it points out not from himself but out actually to the church. The second thing that we see in the calls for his struggle is that, that he says it's for the, the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. It essentially saying, I didn't choose this suffering and this struggle. This is something that God has placed upon me. He has called me into this struggle. And, and in many ways, this is a jab at the, the false teachers we recognize as we've been walking through this letter, that there are false teachers who have come into the church in Colossae, and they're trying to lead the, the sheep astray, and they're trying to say, hey, yeah, you started good with the gospel, but, but we have this deeper teaching that'll give you more knowledge, it'll give you more power, it'll make you an elite Christian, it'll make you a super Christian, and, uh, and, and that was a good start, but now come with us to these deeper things. And he says, hey, uh, those guys chose to come to you. They chose to bring this message and, and to, to craft and create and come to you, but uh, I didn't choose to come to you. I was sent to you by God that I've been commissioned by the Savior to come to you. So he was other-centered. He was, he was doing it for the church. He was doing it as a commission from God, and then we have this crazy phrase that's, that's, that we're going to have to unpack, right, where he says, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, I know for many of you, when you read that, you're like, wow, man, what does that mean? That's, something sounds weird about that, right? Like, uh, like there's, there's something that I quite, I, I can't wrap my mind around. Like, what could be lacking in Christ's afflictions? And so I've read a bunch of different scholars and, and a lot of wise people kind of taking different threads and things on this this week. But, but let's center on what we can know for sure. And it, and it is this, that, that Paul, just earlier in this letter, emphasized uh, how amazing Jesus Christ is. And Keith preached this sermon a couple weeks ago, and he summarized it down into these two things. Christ is supreme and Christ is sufficient. And so if just a few sentences earlier, Paul was making an emphatic point that Jesus is far better than you could ever hope or imagine, and what he did is completely sufficient, that you don't need anything else besides what Jesus has done for you, then when he says, I'm filling up what's lacking in the afflictions of Christ, it certainly doesn't point to the fact that there was something deficient or lacking in what Jesus had done, or that the work was unfinished. That's not what he's saying. And so let's, let's dig in a little bit deeper. What, what could he be saying here? Well, Paul gives us some, some insight into some of his other letters. And essentially what he says is this, that sharing in the sufferings of Jesus Christ for his church, for his body, and by living the gospel out and joining in the sufferings of Jesus is actually a way that we get to know him more. We enter into the life of Jesus. We live as Jesus lived. We share in his sufferings. Listen to what he says in Philippians 3.7. He says, but whatever gain I had, I count as loss. For the sake of Christ, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. 
listen to this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection. A, a resurrection requires a death, right? And so one day we will all die, and if we placed our faith in Jesus, we will be resurrected and we'll go to be with him and we'll experience the fullness of the power of the resurrection in that moment. But in this life, we can experience a taste of the power of resurrection when we allow something in our life to die for the sake of his kingdom and see how he comes and he brings our life back to life and he resurrects our life in a new and fresh way where we're living within him, right? This is, this is kind of high level, right? Like we're, we're kind of like, man, I, I think I get it. I'm, I'm trying to wrap my mind around what that looks like and we'll, we'll put a little bit of flesh on this. But it's important that you see that nothing was lacking in Jesus' perfect sacrifice. The only thing lacking was for the entire world to hear and have an opportunity to respond, right? And so the only possible thing that is lacking is for you to hear the gospel, for your children to hear the gospel, for your friends to hear the gospel, for your neighbors to hear the gospel, for the people of Fagundas, Brazil, where we were, to, for them to hear the gospel, for the people in Nepal to hear the gospel, for, for the people in Bryn Mawr to hear the gospel, right? For everywhere that we go, for, for the people to hear the gospel, that's what we can do. We can take our love and we can live out the gospel of Jesus Christ in our life and take the good news, the perfect work that he's done, which is done, and we can take it and we can deliver it and present it and show it to someone else. We can let the gospel be on display in our life. And we get to enter in. And when we do that, here's the good news. The Bible says we're going to suffer. <laughs> it says it's going to cost us something, right? We don't just get to jump in and kind of say, like, hey, here's some good news. just want to give that to you, and I'm going to jump on back, right? When we, when, we, when we present the gospel, we present it with our life, and we lay our life down in the way that Jesus laid his life down. And so there's struggle, there's difficulty, there's toil. So I would ask you this morning, when you, when you struggle with your struggles, what is the cause? You know, whether you raised your hand this morning or you didn't raise your, your hand this morning, I want you to think about what's the cause of your struggle? Do they, does it match the causes of, of Paul's struggles? Is it the result of your own, own choices, foolish choices, sinful choices? If so, uh, this is an opportunity to, to lay those at the foot of the cross and say, hey, uh, I've been distracted, God, by all these things that don't matter. <laughs> They're just things that I've chosen. They're, 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 uh, I know that they were wrong and I, I didn't, but I don't want to do it anymore because I want to embrace the struggles that you've laid out before me, and I can't do that until I, until I move beyond these struggles um, that, I'm, that I'm tangling myself up in. Is, is the cause of your struggle actually uh, because it's an effort to pursue or appease a false god who has captured your heart, Right? So are you, uh, are, you, are you taking on all kinds of extra hours and travel at work uh, because you think, if I do all that, then I'll get enough money to buy that thing that's actually going to make me happy? Or if I do all this, then finally somebody's going to promote me and give me that title that will give me significance and, and will give me an identity that, that I can rest in. Or, or if I work really hard and I do all this stuff, is it, is it going to make me more lovable because I really want to be loved and, and maybe this will position me to be loved by someone else. We've got to question the motives for the struggle that we're in. We've got to enter into the right struggle, the struggle that we're called to. You know, is your struggle related to health today, of, of your health or someone you love's health or, or a loss or, or a betrayal or a lost friendship or, or a need for forgiveness? Uh, the question for you this morning is, how can I connect this struggle that's come upon me 
to the work of Jesus Christ, right? Instead of saying, our, our, our tendency is always to say, God, get me out of this struggle. Lord, help, help me to get out of this struggle. But sometimes the better thing to do is come and say, Sovereign Lord, you, will, you, you are Lord over all things, and I don't understand this struggle, uh, but I know that you've allowed it to occur in my life, and, and so I just ask you, show me how you can be brought glory through it. What can you do in this struggle and in me to make me more useful to your kingdom? You know, maybe you're allowing me to go through this thing so that at some point in the future I'll be the only person in the room and I can walk across to somebody and say, hey, I know exactly what you're going through. I've been through it and it was horrible. But let me share with you how God helped me in that, right? You might, uh, you might, you might look at it and say, God, I, I don't know what you're trying to teach me, but maybe it's just you're enduring one of the hardest things you could ever imagine. And, and you're crying and you're struggling, but, but you're doing it with grace. And you're, and you're not losing your faith. You're clinging closer to Jesus. And the people around you are looking at you and saying, wow, I can't imagine they could go through that and still hold on to their faith in God. There must be something there, right? Finding purpose in our struggle is what we would desire to do. The second thing, ironically enough, is purpose in our struggle. <laughs> Paul said there was two purposes in his struggle. He says to make the word of God fully known and to present everyone mature in Christ. To make the word of God fully known and to present everyone mature in Christ. Now it's interesting, he says that this is revealed as a mystery that's been revealed to all the saints. That he says that it's not just for some, it's for everyone. That, that, that his opponents in Colossae, these false teachers would have said like, hey, let me, let me pick the cream of the crop. Oh, you're one of the special ones. Come over here. Let me tell you these secrets that... That will, uh, that will make you a better uh, follower of God, that, that'll make you elite. Uh, no, Paul says this is for all the saints. <laughs> this is a mystery that was hidden for ages, and now it's been revealed, and it's Christ crucified to make a way for, for Jews and Gentiles, for everyone to come in a right relationship with the Father, and it's available to everyone. And it says this. I love this. This is awesome. Get this tattoo, right? Him we proclaim. Him we proclaim might require some explanation if it was a tattoo and it just said him we proclaim, right? But him we proclaim, he is revealing the riches of the glory of the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That it's all about proclaiming Jesus. If we want to make the word of God fully known, then our job is to proclaim Jesus in all ways, in all places, in all things. To tie everything that, that, that the cross of Jesus and his resurrection, the empty tomb, changes everything about our life. Whatever your struggle is that you're going through, I promise you that there is a connection where Jesus fulfills whatever is lacking in that situation. Uh, there was an email that went out to all of our epic teachers. The epic teachers are the ones that teach our kindergarten through sixth graders this week. And uh, it was laying out the schedule and just kind of setting a course. And I just followed up and I said, man, thank you guys so much for serving. What you do is so important and powerful and, and investing in the lives of our kids. And I, and I want to encourage and challenge you that as you're teaching these Bible stories, always ask the question, what does this have to do with Jesus? If Jesus wouldn't have lived a perfect life and died on the cross for the forgiveness of sins and rose from the grave in victory over death, if that never happened, what would be different about this story? Because otherwise, it's just a bunch of moralistic stories. It's just a bunch of heroes and villains, and it's just a bunch of things that, uh, that, that, that might help a little bit, might teach us how to try and be good people, but that's not what we're about. We're about making the connection to the cross. Him we proclaim in everything we do. Uh, you know, you don't want to be, uh, you, you want to find a way to be able to have this naturally flow off your tongue, right? So when you help someone and you bless them, and they say, man, thank you so much. Like, our first reaction shouldn't be like, ah, oh, it's nothing. Don't worry, you do the same for me, right? Uh, there should be something in us that finds a way to say, hey, you know, 
yeah, you know, uh, selfishly, I probably didn't even want to do that. But, <laughs> but because of what Jesus has done for me, it's transformed my heart into a way where I see things differently. I see it in his eyes. Now, hopefully you're much smoother than I am, right? With that, like, that would be awkward if somebody said that. But, but you get the idea where you're making the connection of, like, I am on mission for Jesus, and if anybody cracks the door open, I'm going to share with them the hope that exists in me. He says that we present everyone mature. So make the word of God fully known and to present everyone mature. mature. This is not just for some. This is for everyone. The, the church is like a spiritual Spartan race, right? Like no man left behind. The clock stops when every member of your team crosses the finish line. And so if you're running out ahead, the only reason to run out ahead is so that you can scout out the territory and come back and tell the weaker runners, like, hey, here's what's coming. Here's how you prepare for it. Here's, here's how we can do it together, that, uh, that we lay down our lives so that others can climb over us to get into the kingdom, right? That, that we're doing this together. It's for everyone. And so a false maturity says, hey, I've elevated myself to a level far beyond those low-level people. But a true maturity says, hey, God's shown me just enough that I can come back and I can share into somebody's life who, who maybe hasn't walked where I've walked yet, and I can help them see how God walked, walked me through it. Beyond that, he says that we're warning and we're teaching everyone. And these two things always combine together in good ministry. If, if you overemphasize one and deemphasize the other, you, you lose the gospel. If it's all about warning, if every sermon boils down to fire and brimstone and the, and the message uh, to summarize is, you're going to hell <laughs> unless you buy your ticket to heaven and then you can, you can find your way in. If, if you never share any of the good news, we're not trying to just go to not hell. We're trying to go with our creator our Savior, the one who redeemed us, the one who invited us in and adopted us when we were opposed to him, right? That there's much to celebrate there. On the other end, if, if we just teach all the, the promises of Scripture and we just teach, here's the, here's the good things, and we never talk about sin, and we never talk about the need for repentance, and we never talk about the things that we have to walk away from to walk towards God, then we present a false gospel, a false hope, right? And so the, the true gospel is always those things connected. It's warning and it's teaching together in all wisdom so that people can see Jesus fully. Uh, we talk about maturity and we use this uh, discipleship wheel uh, that, um, that comes out of a book called Discipleship by Jim Putman. And, um, and, and, and so when we think about maturity in the church, uh, this is what we talk about. It. That red quadrant up there is the moment when you're born again. You place your faith in Jesus, and you move out of that, like any newborn, into an infant stage. And so you, uh, you, you just don't know what you don't know. And so there's things you're getting out of your life, bad habits, uh, bad relationships, things that you need to walk away from. And then there's new things. All of a sudden, now you're praying. Now you're reading your Bible. Now you're telling other people about Jesus. And, and it's just all new, and it's a, it's a new experience. And you move from that into the child phase. Uh, which, is, which is really characterized by self-centered. You start to get a little bit better at some of those things, and then the temptation is to look around and be like, oh, man, I'm glad I quit cussing, not like that person. They, they're, they're still a baby. You know, I'm kind of moved on above them, right? Um, and so we start to think higher of ourselves because of this. Um, and the challenge, if we stay there, we, we're, we're, we're some of the most... Um, hurtful Christians when we stay in this child phase where we're just really self-centered. We proclaim to have knowledge, but we really don't have much knowledge yet. And so, so we need to continue to move on into a young adult stage where we're, where we're other-centered and we're God-centered, where we start looking, we stop looking so much at ourselves and, and thinking so highly of ourselves, we start to look out to others and kind of say, God, how can I serve you? How can I serve the people around me? How can I take the things that I learned when I was an infant and a child, and how can I help share them with others? And ultimately, a mature Christian is one who is strategic and intentional about helping other Christians to come to know Jesus. 
uh, more deeply, more fully, to live out the gospel, to see how the gospel applies to our whole life. That's what we look for in maturity. It's, it's fulfillment of the Great Commission. He says, go and baptize uh, and teach them to uh, obey all that I have commanded you. And so it doesn't just say, go obey all that I commanded you. It says, go and teach others, make disciples, and teach them how to obey all that I have commanded you. And so, so we know that we're maturing in our discipleship when we can look around and say, man, I've, uh, God used me. I don't know how because I'm messed up and broken, but he used me in that person's life. And I can see that they're walking more closely to Jesus because of what he's doing through me. That's what maturity looks like. And that's, that's what we're striving for, uh, to take everyone to maturity. And so I'd ask you this, well, what, to what end are you struggling? What's the purpose of your struggles, the struggles that exist in your life? Are, are your struggles centered around making Jesus known and helping others to become mature? Or are we struggling for other things? What's the cause of your struggle? And if your cause is an unworthy cause, abandon it. Stop struggling for things that aren't worthy of your heart and your time. Now, the last two, I'll, I'll hit more quickly here, right? The, the power for the struggle, it says in there that he says that he does this with all his energy, the energy of Christ, which he powerfully works within me. You might be listening this morning, you're like, man, this sounds hard. I don't think I can do what you're saying. And I would say, you're right. And I can't do it either. We can't do it without the power of Jesus. Our own reserves of energy are not enough to live for him and to pour ourselves out and to go through struggle for him. We can prosper for him. We might be able to do that, right? <laughs> if, if following Jesus means that we get accolades and, and riches and all these good things, we might be able to endure through that. But as soon as struggle comes in, we have to tap into the power of Jesus. Now, what does that look like? It, uh, the thing is, you might, might be like, man, I've been a Christian for a long time, but I don't know if I've ever felt the power of Jesus. And, and, and I would tell you that uh, it doesn't always, uh, it's not always accompanied by a supernatural feeling. But it's more like this. It's like when you find yourself doing things that you would never do out of your own desires and your own strength, you find yourself way out of your comfort zone doing something for the glory of Jesus. You can look at it and say, man, I didn't, I didn't feel like he was the wind beneath my wings, but yet uh, here I am, I'm doing it. And there's no way to explain what I'm doing right now except for the fact that Jesus was empowering me to do this. So sometimes it's not this supernatural. Uh, it might not even feel good. It might feel really, really difficult, but when Jesus isn't working in us, he takes broken, sinful people and he does his good works through them. And the only way that that can happen is through the power of Jesus, the Holy Spirit working in us. Where do you look for, for the power for your struggle? Is it caffeine? Is caffeine your functional savior? Is it vacation? Is it sleep? Is it affirmation from others? Is it, is it self-determination and self-will? Is it, is it your own self-confidence? All those, none of those things are bad. They're good things, but they're all extremely limited in what they can provide for you. They can only take you so far and no further. When I go on vacation, I waste the last two days of vacation wishing that I was already on my next vacation, right? Like, the vacation power ends faster than anything else, and then you come back and you're depressed for like a couple weeks, right? So, so vacation is a very limited power. In fact, it drains power out of you sometimes. The caffeine, uh, it wears off, right? But, but the power of Jesus carries us forward in a way that we could, could never understand or explain. We find ourselves doing more and more and more for him. It's a, it's a limitless well. The last thing is this, uh, the feel of the struggle. So we talked about, uh, we talked about uh, the, the cause of the struggle, the power of the struggle, uh, the purpose of the struggle, and now the feel of the struggle. What does it feel like when you're struggling in this way? Look at the crazy first verse. What does he say? He says, I rejoice. There is joy in the struggle when it's done for the right cause, with the right purpose in mind, and in the right power. 
And you guys, uh, in the Summer Olympics, we had this incredible example of this, like these, uh, these swimmers. I was amazed by them, right? They were like just swimming. Uh, there's this girl, Katie Ledecky, who was like a phenomenal swimmer. And most of the, she's in this pool with the best swimmers in the world, and she's just swimming her own race, right? She's like laps ahead of these guys. And she's just going after the world record. And one, one race, they came up to her, and they, she's smiling. She just won the gold. And, and they came up, and they said, hey, how did that feel? And she's like, oh, that was the closest I've ever come to throwing up while I was swimming, right? <laughs> it was agonizing. It was, it, it was, it was, it, it stretched her. It was the greatest struggle she'd ever experienced, and yet she popped out of the pool with joy because the goal, the end that was laid before her was worth the struggle that she went through. If your struggle is not worth what lies at the other end, abandon it, right? We should be able to rejoice even in the midst of the struggle. The, the word, uh, it's a Greek word that I'm going to butcher here that he uses for, uh, for struggle there is uh, agonizomai, which, from which we get the word agony, Right? So he's not saying, man, this is like all sunshine and roses. He's like, this is agonizing, and yet I have joy in the midst of it. Swimmers train their body to ignore. Their body says, stop, you can't go any further. Their mind says, stop, you can't go any further. But, but something in their spirit says, I can keep doing this, and they keep going against that. And as Christians, that's what we're called to do. Sometimes it's not going to feel good. Sometimes you wake up and it feels miserable, but you keep doing it because you believe that the struggle is worth the goal at the end. And the proof of this is the fact that he's writing this letter from prison. This hopeful, encouraging letter that's celebrating the glory of Jesus is written from, from an imprisoned state. And so whatever, you, you can't look at him and say, oh, Paul, you don't know. You don't know my struggle, right? He had a struggle. <laughs> he had struggles, and yet he had joy in the midst of it. You might not always feel happy, but at the deep root, the question is, is there joy? At the, at the foundation of, of your existence, is there joy that can last through whatever struggle that you're going through? Because it's placed in the hope of glory that is Jesus alive in you. And as we close here, um, my hope is, is that if you raised your hand and said you're struggling this week, I hope you can evaluate the struggle. What's the struggle? Is it a struggle that should be abandoned or is it a struggle that should be pursued? Are you, uh, do you need to endure through for the sake of Jesus, for the kingdom, for his glory? Or is it a struggle that, that you need to stop pursuing? Or is it a struggle that's been placed upon you in which you've got to say, hey, God, you've allowed this struggle into my life. Teach me how to deal with it. Teach me how to thrive in the midst of it. Teach me how to have joy, even though I'm struggling. And I would encourage you that if you're here and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, uh, that, that he is worthy of the struggle. And, and the joy of following after him eclipses any other joy that you could experience in this world. And I would encourage you that today is the day to let down all the other struggles and take up uh, the struggle that he has laid out for you. And the way that we do this is, is not through our works. It's not through our efforts. It's not by cleaning ourselves up. You don't have to go home and do a bunch of things and get it in order before you do it. You just come and say, uh, and the Bible says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that he raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. If we confess Jesus as our Savior, we believe that he died for our sins and offered us forgiveness and we receive that, if we place our faith in that, then we will be saved. And then he will move us forward through that wheel. <laughs> and ultimately, we might be counted worthy to struggle for his name. And it will be our greatest joy. Will you pray with me?